Hello, and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your hosts, Stephen Craig and Parker Doman. This is episode 101. Yeah, and we're finally back from vacation. Yeah, it is now 2018. So we've been doing this for. Is it? Two I'm checking years? my phone. Three years? Five years? I can't remember. A long time. Uh, 100 divided by 56. Or 101 50, divided by 56. 56? Is it 52? It's 52. 52 weeks? Yeah, it's 52 weeks. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're, we're engineers. We don't we don't pay attention to things like time and dates and years. Because that's all just like details, right? It's Well, yeah. time's expandable and compressible and moldable and stretchable and something like that. Depends on how fast you're going. Yes. So it's all. <laughs> so I guess in this episode, we're, we'll talk about the 2018 projects that we're going to start this year, but not finish. Not finish. Right. And then I actually was going to bring finish up. finish one. I was actually going to bring up some projects that we did in 2016 as well. Oh, wow. That yeah. we haven't finished? Yeah, we haven't finished. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Because I think we finished, like, I know of maybe two that we finished last Durst year. Synth. Yeah. And then we finished... No, we got a couple projects that we finished. Okay, you have a list of... Because I can't... Like, I remember you know what? That would have been a really good topic is to talk about... We'll, we'll, do, it, we'll do it next week. What we finished? <laughs> okay. No. Op- open projects of the map. We did, and ones that, that, we we did actually- that before Christmas. <laughs> no, it was a while ago we did it that. Was, it was in November, I think. <gasps> no, we did it when you finished the synth, and we're like, we're going to get these parts. I completely already forgot that. <laughs> yeah, that's... And and all the listeners are like, yep, because they, they, they don't have... The listeners don't get to actively put their fingers on the projects that we work on like like we do, but we just don't actively put the fingers on our own projects. Exactly. So they just sit there and wait, and we apologize. Collect dust. Yeah. You, you, I actually found this super simple power supply. Well, the, I mean, it's the, a the, giant brick. It's hard to miss. Well it, well, it had about a quarter inch of dust on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. We got to get it that It was done. funny, too, because it was that... We got that one to the point where it's effectively working. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I had it on a bench doing things, you yep. know? So uh, at, I guess we never really just connected the digital to the analog side. I yeah. mean, the analog needs some... some well, I, I guess both sides sort of need some more work. Uh, it would need sort of another spin. But in terms of the prototype, like, we asked it to put power out, and it, put power it out. did that. So yep. And it did it in the way that I wanted it to. So yeah. that's, I think we'll... I want to make that one of the first projects we go and finish Ooh, that's a that's a beefy project yeah go all the way back to episode one and finish that project yes <laughs> so we, we need a budget iris yeah give, give, <laughs> give us a budget give us some money to fix this so we don't have to bankroll it ourselves. <laughs> yeah if so the thing is though most of the money's already been spent on it and it's just sitting in a box we got a bunch of transformers we got a but uh, a big case for it it's all in all the budget is in those transformers yeah yeah, yeah it's like 150 bucks of transformers and we got two of them two of them yeah yeah and they're monstrous yeah like the size of your head yeah yeah they're, they're big what would we call those donut transformers yeah donuts toroidals toroidals but yeah. donuts better yeah donut transformers i think it was the that was the name of the podcast probably that episode yep okay so steven yeah um transitioning Actual topics for this podcast. Segway. <laughs> Except not a segue. Not a segue. Just a, just a brute force. Go yeah, to the brute next force topic. It. Yep. Okay. So uh, kind of over the break, uh, the Christmas, New Year's break, I was uh, um, out on vacation but had plenty of time to just kind of like browse. And, uh, and I kind of did the thing where I just look at like what's out there. And I found a, a pretty cool little... I guess, I guess you could call it a project. It's weird. It sort of doesn't fit as a project in my mind. But... Um, 
an oscilloscope, a really inexpensive oscilloscope called the DSO138. Okay. Uh, now, this is a, a little oscilloscope kit that you can build, sort of a la the, the old, like, Heath kit kind of thing where you get, like, a whole package and it's just everything's right there to build it. And and most of the listeners, not I shouldn't say most, but but I'm, I bet listeners have seen this before because it's an incredibly inexpensive way to get a scope you, that actually you, works. You go on eBay and search for oscilloscope and select lowest price first and this pops up okay well, uh, actually before we even go into this let's let's play a quick little game uh this is an oscilloscope uh one channel and and i'll, I'll give you that okay. that much information it's one channel oscilloscope it does basically what your benchtop would do uh just not as well if you go to ebay guess how much you would see it for just i mean i saw the i put the oh notes you together. wouldn't look okay okay i didn't know you so you could find it for four dollars Assemble. Wait, what? Yeah, four bucks. Assembled. I saw you says thirty dollars here. Oh, okay, okay. But so four dollars. Sort, of, sort of a jumping the gun here. It's, it's let me let me talk about this scope for a second because I just think this is funny. I don't actually have one, nor have I even ordered one. I may do it one day. I don't know. I just I saw it and I was like, this is a really interesting thing that has popped up because the 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 true version and I put that in quotes can be had for thirty bucks. So. What I mean by that is the whole board, everything, you get this whole scope, which is, I don't know, it's got a bunch of buttons. Is it assembled? Which is, it is, but it not the through-hole parts. Okay. So it has a couple surface mounts slapped on there, and then a bag of through-hole parts. So you basically get to learn to solder through-hole parts, which, you know, that's like it's like a solder kit, or like learn to solder kit, but it's kind of, I don't know, it, it, there's other better options for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like, just buy the assembled version. It's a couple dollars more. So like $33 you get assembled in a, you know, acrylic case or something like that. Regardless, let me, let me tell you the um, specs on this. It has a bandwidth of uh, 200 kilohertz, which, okay, that's fine for, for most simple projects. It has a sample rate of uh, one mega sample per second. That's not too bad. It, no, no, I mean, for, for simple stuff, it that's plenty. Um, it has decent range. It goes 10 millivolt per division to 5 volt per division. I like how I most of the LDOs that I use for my projects, their ripple is under 10 millivolts, so this couldn't measure the ripple on my power supplies. Well, or you just see the peaks of the ripple. Yeah, yeah, barely. So, so it's not it's not incredibly sensitive. Um, it's got 12 bit resolution, which, funny enough, that's actually better than a lot of like desktop. Uh, yeah, guys, mainly because they're way faster, so they do 8-bit resolution and, and yeah. much faster. But regardless, it's 12-bit. That's cool. Uh, it will go 10 microseconds all the way to 500-second uh, time base, so you can have this thing like take minutes of data, even though it only has a, a, a recording length of 1024 points. So basically, if you want to take like a couple points of DC across does 500 this, does seconds... Does this thing run on like an 18 mega 328p? Or some 18 mega 8-bit processor. These are like typical 8-bit stuff. Wouldn't surprise me. I don't actually. I don't actually know off the top of my head. Um, so, so it does have open source firmware, which okay. is cool. So, if you want to, if you want to take their firmware and change the graphics, or if you want to go and change like the colors of traces or whatever, uh, or even write your own firmware, your own custom front end for this thing, go for it. You that's fully open. Uh, so it's like it's a really really simplistic scope but if you're just looking at little signals on a breadboard or something it works great in my mind what this actually works really fantastic for is like a is it there 
test. You yeah, know, like yeah, yeah. you could just plug into something. If you see something on the screen, you know that there's a signal there. And and to be honest, even though that's really simplistic, you'd have no idea how useful that actually is. Well, it's like the most time you use a multimeter for is for continuity me- metering. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you know. A lot of people think that you get these scopes to look at, like, eye diagrams for speeds on USB. No. you Most no. of the time, you're just looking, yes, there's a signal on this. Yes, there's this. You know, you're just passing signals. Yeah, most of the time, I'll use my scope for, like, I'll Because most of the time, with it. I just look at analog stuff. Yeah, right. Because um, if you're... I'll put it this way. If you're doing digital stuff, you don't want a scope. Well, yeah, yeah if you're trying to decode digital stuff... Yeah. Well, yeah. If you're looking at digital stuff, you don't want a scope. You want a a logic analyzer. Right. Unless you're unless there's something like you're getting runt pulses or you're That's getting like weird shaped okay. like curved pulses. And yeah. Things like I, okay. That. If you're getting weird stuff like that, but, but at that point you're probably not getting any data whatsoever. Exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I can see you using a scope. Like if you're trying to measure overshoot or undershoot yeah. or yep. um, roll off on on your clock speed, but for most projects you're not getting into that speed range where no, those no, no, become no. a problem. Like a couple you, hundred well, you're talking like eye diagrams for like you know doing qualm um, uh, modem stuff and yep. carrier signals. Like you're not doing that with an Arduino. No, 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 no. And you're probably not doing that on your home bench either. No. Yeah. So. So this thing ain't gonna do that. Yeah. Uh, but what I'm saying is, if if you're just doing Arduino stuff, something like the DSO 138. Mm-hmm. For your scope, and then use like a you know um, open bench logic analyzer, which is like fifty bucks. Yep, and that's under a hundred dollars. You have a basic lab to do pretty much anything that Arduino can do. Oh yeah, absolutely. Or even even a Pi. Yeah, um, you could you could. This is good enough for that. That was actually one of the points that I was gonna bring up with this. It's like for thirty bucks, you can get a scope that'll get you. This this scope would get you through college. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! It would. Yeah. So uh, let's let's put it that way. It's it's that advanced. Uh, yep. You know. So for or college is that devanced or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, regardless, what's funny about it is for thirty bucks you would think that this would be kind of like the only scope out there. There is a counterfeit version of this scope, <laughs> and that's the four dollar one. So it's like. Why counterfeit something that's already super cheap already? What's, how do they get it to forty four dollars? I have no idea. Maybe it's actually a real one, and they just stole it. That could be. That really, <laughs> that really could be. But like, there's websites that'll show you like, you know, look for this writing on the PCB, and look for this kind of sticker, and th- like the true one has this kind of font or something like that. Like, mm. there's ways to tell that there's counterfeit of this and i you know i haven't researched it enough i know that there's counterfeits i don't know if the counterfeits work well or not they might be the exact same thing <laughs> they're probably exactly the same thing yeah they probably are so the the, the other thing that's kind of cool about this is the whole screen is on a pin header mm-hmm. uh so y- if you get the goddering kit you can actually omit the pin header and put in like a ribbon cable such that you could mount the screen to anything in your i project. see what you're going for at this uh so you could put this anywhere really yeah. uh so. You're going to make this a display for a synthesizer. Uh, that was the original, <laughs> the original idea. It's a, it, yeah, it could be. Uh, it no, that be. a thirty. You have a thirty dollar, basically customizable VU meter, and signal. What what they call them? Waveform. Oh, what's that term? It's an older. It's like around time when you had really old, like the, like the scopes that you had were actually had round displays, round tubes. 
Okay, yeah. And they had something that was called a waveform viewer, I want to say what it was. And it was more of a lower-end scope. Huh. Um, basically, it was a scope that was like fixed to look at one specific you know, channel and stuff. Oh, yeah. You could probably make it a whole lot cheaper yeah. uh, doing it that so, way. Yeah, it was basically you plugged the signal in, and it would just look at whatever you're like that one specific frequency it's looking for right gotcha yeah so yeah i mean this this could be something cool like that yeah yeah cool I, I, think, I think it's a cool idea yeah so what you've been up to parker so the pin heck and i know i said i wasn't going to mention this until it was done um it's actually all routed now finally mm-hmm. how long did that take you oh man Six hours to finish it up. Okay. And the hardest thing was, like, resisting going back and rerouting old stuff. Oh, yeah, because you can get caught up in that. Yeah, and I was like, I'm only going to change the minimal I can change. And I think that's what I said last time, too. <laughs> um, so all that's left is a silkscreen now. Because um, I added some fuses and stuff, so I had to put documentation on the board and all that good stuff. And make sure, like, the silkscreen is not underneath a part, because then you can't read it. Um, but yeah, everything's looking pretty good on it. We changed over from the standard SD card size to a micro SD card size, finally. Okay. That was like pulling teeth, because everyone was so, like, against that. And I'm like, guys, micro it's SD cards. It's 2018. It's 2018, come guys. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> What's that thing? It's like, if your argument starts with, it's year X, it's not a valid argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um... So basically, you got the uh, cleanup and polish lift to do. Yeah, yeah. A couple choices, probably just looking at them, and I'll be like, oh, that one doesn't look as pretty. And also, (laughs) I'll nudge it a couple mils. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's in that phase now. So I'll probably order the, uh, I think we're ordering four boards this week. Okay. And those are some pricey prototypes. (laughs) Yeah, so in a couple weeks, you get to test if everything worked out. It's a 14. Your DRC passes? DRC does pass, yeah. That probably feels good. Yeah. And you know what's really funny, though? It's like I pretty much know what, like, when I'm routing out, like, I know what eight, what six mils is, which is the routing that we use. Um, so I know what six mils looks like. And so I, like, I think I had to just, like, two traces afterwards. Nice. Yeah. Because, like, one got a little bit too close to a via. And oh. it, was, it was, like, a mil off. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> but then I got to and just, like, I was about it. to ask that. And I just nudged the mil and moved everything else. Oh, that must have been nice. Yes, it was. Was it, was it. was it snappy, or did it have to, like, think? It was pretty snappy. Cool. It wasn't too bad. Yeah, because it gets annoying if you if you ever uh, use push-shove and you accidentally, like, bump the mouse, and it has to think about the rest, <laughs> the rest of the board. Of the board. <laughs> shove everything, and then you're like, oh, control Z. Yeah. yeah. That's nice. And then it has to rethink. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know what I haven't tried is if you do a push route and you did a control Z, would it reroute? I haven't tried that yet. Reroute all the other traces? Well, yeah, so if you pushed routed and pushed them all away and you control Z, it should remove that trace and push everything back to where it was. It, yes, it should because it should consider a push change as one, one operation. Action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder yeah. if it does or not. Because that would be really bad if it didn't. Yeah, I gotta try that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so after this board, after we order it, I got to start working on the I2S audio amp. And so I, I talked about this a lot two time, three times ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. The uh, TAS5755M, which is a 70-watt I2S um, chip from TI. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started playing with it because I got the evaluation board. And so I hooked it up to the Raspberry Pi. And got that all running, and it 
mostly worked. What is what does that mean? It was really staticky. So I think there's some settings wrong, or I basically have to play with it. Or oh. it might be the evaluation board's busted. <laughs> Could um, be. Because I was using it in like a non-standard configuration. Oh. Yeah. So I'll fix it. <laughs> basically, I'm gonna put. How do you have to rip data to that? Um, it's at 48 kilohertz. Okay. So, well, times your bit size, plus whatever extras you you have you have you know you yeah, yeah eight yeah. bits plus your acknowledge and all that crap. Yep. Okay. So. Pretty fast. Yeah, it's it's some it's has the Pi has built in hardware that does that. So Oh okay, you don't even have to worry about it. You just no. send it crap and it goes. Yeah. Okay. The big problem I think we're gonna run into is the Raspberry Pi doesn't output a master PCM clock. Um, most iPixes don't require it. They just have their own that's like their sampling rate, the forty four point whatever kilohertz or forty eight kilohertz or yep. whatever. Kinda like the Motu here has its own mm-hmm. Our, yeah, can, its own master clock. The Motus are recording interface. Yeah. Um, so it has its own master clock. It doesn't get that signal from the computer. Um, but this amplifier, to increase flexibility, a lot of the higher-end ones, you need to generate the master clock for it. And so I don't know if that's something I need to generate. I, can I just put a 48 kilohertz clock on it and call it good? Or what? I think that might have been part of the staticky problem at the Try it. I'm going to put it in a standard configuration according to like the evaluation PDF, mm-hmm. and hopefully, if it works well, then I'm I know it's something I set up wrong and like the Raspberry Pi side or something. Just need to spend some time on it. Yeah, I basically just threw it together with some jumpers in like 20 minutes and a beer and tried it, and I'm like, <laughs> it worked. It's just like, <laughs> so yeah. Sounds like you got something wrong. Yeah, something's wrong on that. But it's at least it worked. At least you can hear audio in the song. So I was playing Doom, the Doom OST. <laughs> oh, the new Doom, not new the old Doom. Doom. Yeah, correct. Yeah, I was playing the new Doom. Well, that's all static, also. Yeah, like, just, <laughs> tons of static in that music. That might have been blowing the speaker out or something. <laughs> it's possible. Cool. All yeah. right, on to the RFO. On the RFO. So this is what I was bringing up earlier about uh, previous projects. Was on Hackaday. There was a guy who made a classic chip from Discretes. Oh, that's like, awesome. And I'm like, oh, Steven has made op amps before. Oh, yeah. Just, and it's, it's exactly the same way. It's a board with, you know, the standard um, 400 mil dip width pins and stuff. Mm-hmm. But he made a MC1466 voltage regulator, which is a obsolete um, voltage regulator for one of his Lambda adjustable power supplies. Okay. Um. So yeah, it's kind of a you know if you go through all the trouble of making a, a device, it seems like you would pick one that's like more flashy than a voltage regulator. But well, no, hey, it, what happened but he is needed it, I guess. Yeah, his voltage regulator in that power supply was broken. I think it was like a reference voltage or something. Okay, uh, I didn't read his article too much. I was more interested in like how he did it, which is he got the schematic, or not schematic. He got the um, the data sheet for the part, and then it had the breakout of what it would be. Like did the block diagram with all the transistors and stuff, and he basically replicated that. That's cool, and it worked. I don't know if he's done a lot of testing on like how close it is to the original, but but going even farther back into the archives was when you did that op amp. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the project we finished. Yes, it is one. But <laughs> then we we had another open ended one, and we haven't started it yet. Okay, yeah. it was the five 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 timer. Oh, a discrete, discrete, yeah, discrete five timer, five, 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 yeah. and the, our idea was you just keep stacking boards, 
Oh, yeah, you have this big, huge stack. Yeah, so you have a stack of PCBs that are all interconnected to fit all the parts. Yep. What's that? It's the you like, we need to build a... I guess it's not discreet, but if you just plop, like, a little tiny CPLD on it, and then program... tell it to be a 5.5 timer? (laughs) Programmed it in Verilog. (laughs) That that actually, uh, so, that kind of... I looked this up the other other day. Uh, Reminds me of... You remember ProtoBricks? We had the guy from ProtoBricks on, where, like, the... The actual bricks themselves weren't really the chip. Yeah, they just kind of plug in and tell the computer to do that, whatever it that function. Do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of, it's sort of that that mentality. Yeah, but that would be pretty funny. There is that we talked about it a while ago, but there is that that big five 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 kit you can buy, and it's yeah, like yeah. six inches by ten inches. It's huge. Yep. Uh, and you build a discrete five five five. But uh, from what I, I think Dave Jones did a video on it. I think. If I remember right, it has most of the functionality of a 555, but not all. So it'll do, like, I don't remember. There's there's three configurations for a 555. There's the one-shot, the A-stable, and the mono-stable, or something like yep. that. And I think it it may not do one of those. I can't remember hmm. exactly how it works. Regardless, yeah, that would be fun. Because I think you can do it all with, like, uh, 3904s Fours. and 6s. I think you can pull it all off with that. Yeah, and a couple of resistors and caps. Because because a five 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 timer is like a what it's a it's a it's um it's a stack of three five k resistors. Yep. In there, and those feed to two Schmidt triggers. Yep. And then those do some other stuff back on the back end. Uh, so it's like, I think it's it's almost all transistors. Yeah. Effectively. Yeah. Yeah, it should be doable. It might not fit in, you know, the dip package size but this guy he made the board actually just bigger yeah and so it fit the same package but it like overhanged it had a muffin top of a pcb <laughs> yeah oh, okay it was bigger than the the yeah. standard dip size yeah 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 i tried really hard when i did those discrete op amps to make them a dip size they were just slightly bigger but they had to be because of uh, the pin headers yep um I, originally i wanted them to just plug into a regular socket um and that took some fancy there were some sneaky, sneaky traces on that to, to get to get. Oh all yeah, the going in between resistors and stuff oh, between yeah. pads, or like you know you have a SOT uh, twenty three transistor. Oh, and sneaking and in between. sneaking diagonally between pads and stuff. There's there was a bit of that sneaky sneak. Sneaky. Okay, so next topic is Apple says sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, what are they saying sorry for? So this is the everything. I wish. <laughs> Um, this is on, you know how everyone, when they upgrade their operating system on their iPhone, it gets slower? Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. Because Apple commands it to be slower. So this is what Apple said. That when you upgrade the OS, your phone, it's it's not specific to just the new OS. Is your phone's battery just degrades and they have smart monitoring. And so it won't, like... It won't pull as hard as your bat on your battery when your battery's really. Oh, that's a load of crap. So like they'll basically instead of you know pulling X juice, they'll pull Y juice, and so it'll downclock your processor. And so to fix this, they're offering a discount on battery placements. So it's not like free batteries. <laughs> a discount. There's a discount. Thanks, Apple. So it's like a fifty dollar replacement, and it's like thirty dollars. Uh, so you save twenty bucks. Save yeah, okay, but you still have to give them money for them purposefully slowing down your yes, your, your device. Just make my battery life worthless. Just let it run the regular speed, and you know and that's what Android does. Uh, their software update can't be that magical that it burns 
that much more juice. You know? <laughs> like, it really can't. No. Maybe. It's apple juice. <laughs> Zing! Hey! That was bad. Yeah, that was... <laughs> <laughs> Um, but they say this affects like iPhone sixes and nothing before. But I clearly remember like my friends having like iPhone threes, and then like the new OS update comes out and it like the phone is unusable. I, I mean, the mothership sends down the stop working command and things happen. Yep. Yeah. And I know MacBooks do the same thing, so it's not just iPhones. But hey, they at least said sorry for. One thing. Well, there you go. Do do they offer discounts on MacBooks? No, it was they just go iPhone. From Fifteen thousand dollars down to fourteen thousand. No, something like that. Oh, okay. This is for iPhones. Oh well. Yeah. So the next one is a question from. I'm really good at those, aren't I? You're fantastic. Let's yeah, let's <laughs> move on. Yeah, we've said everything we need to say. Yeah. Well, none of us own Apple devices, so. No. So it doesn't. Yeah. Android doesn't slow down. I mean, well, it does, but it's like nature just makes it slow down, you know? <laughs> nature? <laughs> you, well, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, all the the hardware just gives up eventually. I like how it's just nature just takes its course. That's right, yeah. Okay, what's next? Um, so Zap from the Slack channel asks, If my MCU has internal pull-ups on an I.O., why would they recommend additional pull-up resistors externally? Mm. So this is a really good question. That's a that, yeah, that is good a question. So Stephen, yeah. Okay, so I have two things that come to mind immediately as to why. So well, okay, so th- there's sort of three things here. If your circuit can get away with using their internal pull-ups, and you've tested using their internal pull-ups, go ahead and use them. What the hell? Why not? I mean, if it works, it works. Um, a lot of times those internal pull-ups uh, don't have a lot of protection around them, and they're usually really, really light. Yeah. They use a massive resistor there. And so um, depending on what other load is attached to that line, it may not be enough to work properly, especially if you have a really heavy load on that line, potentially. And the thing is, the more chips you stack on that line, the heavier the load gets not work. Yeah. Uh, so... Depending on your requirements for your load, you might need a, uh, I guess what they call a um, stiffer pull-up or like one that effectively allows more stronger. apple juice to flow through. More apple juice. A stronger pull-up. A stronger pull-up. So a lower value pull-up. Right. Now, here's the thing. And in fact, it was funny. I was going to bring this up. Maybe we'll talk about this in a, in a future uh, podcast. In fact, we probably will. I wanted to do a topic on like what resistor to use, where, and when. Uh, ah. and that, would, that would be a fun topic. But the thing is, the value of the resistor you use for a pull-up can have a pretty large impact on the timing and the curve of a pulse going up or down based off of the load capacitance there. Yep. So once again, that internal pull-up, it's, most of the time they're super light. They're not, you know, there's, there's a thing called Miller capacitance, which is basically the inherent parasitic capacitance on the input of every chip. And if you put a bunch of chips there, that can, you know, that can get worse. Or if you put chips far away from its driving chip, that can make it even worse. So you can get those runt pulses and those bad pulses we were talking about earlier when we were talking about the oscilloscope. So all of these kind of stack up to most of the time it's better to spend the extra .001 cent and put 
a resistor there that you know is heftier than what's inside the chip. Yeah, and most of the time it just boils down to they're just generally weaker. Yep. Um, they're anything that's got to touch the outside world. They're not going to be powerful enough to override like a a uh, ESD event. Or, like, let's say you press a button and your your fingers got a lot of... That means how phones, capacitive touch phones work is your body has quite a bit of capacitance to it. Mm-hmm. And so if you touch a button that's hooked up to a, just a... And the pull-up is just a, you know, internal internal guy. He might not have enough juice to recover fast enough. Right, right. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the key words, fast enough. Yep. Because of the capacitance of your body or whatever jolt you're giving it, other chips might spring back to life faster than your MCU and it might get confused because you know it's looking at things it shouldn't be looking at. Yeah, and another one to think about is it's not even about this. It's about why when you cuz this is all steady state stuff in operations. When you first turn your device on, those pull-ups are not enabled. That's right. Cuz that's a part of your that's part of your initialization code of your MCU is to Boot and or to turn those those uh, resistors on. Right, but but good code would turn those on before it needs them. Yeah, but if you have a device that turns on faster than your MCU, and it's also looking for the state of these pins. Yeah. Then, like let's say an I square C device. Yeah. Right. The speed of light is usually fast enough, you know. So put it put your own resistor, your own dedicated resistor there and you can be pretty sure that it's going to get pulled up as fast as your power supply comes up yeah um the important one to think about this is like a uh, a fpga so the fpga is code from the flash and that takes a couple seconds well your support glue circuitry like let's say a 595 shift register is now looking at you know its input clock pin and in those three seconds, if that line is just floating, it's going between your 3.3 or whatever your rail is, probably 3.3 volts if you're using 5.95 and zero. And so it's getting just garbage data in and then, you know, maybe randomly latches and displays some garbage on your whatever you're driving, like LEDs or whatever. Yep. So if you, But if you pull those, those clock pins high or low, then you basically fix that problem. I've actually had a situation where um, I had a 595 on a board, and if you touched the 555, not even the pins, the body of the 555, it was enough to yank the latch pin. 595. I, sorry. Yeah, you're right. 595. My bad. Um, but uh, my pull-up wasn't, wasn't strong enough, <clears throat> and so I could manually latch my 555 <laughs> by touching it, and, and it would make... I had it controlling a bunch of relays, so it would make the relays just go nuts. And it was probably not very good for things because it would go from, you know, zero current to, like, two amps, like, right away. And it was yeah. making my power supply cry bloody murder. But uh, And all but your yeah. digital circuitry is probably freaking out, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was probably going all over the place. And and all, all I had to do was solder a resistor on there, and it fixed it, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Those are the best fixes. When you solder one part on, you're like, yeah. <laughs> Like a bypass cap that fixes the problem? A lot of times that's what it's like in digital world. Yep. It's just, oh, I forgot this one thing, or it's not beefy enough, or, you know. Yeah, it's usually noise. When the digital realm, noise is your enemy. Yep. So, it's a funny thing. It's like in the analog world, you can live with some noise. But you have to. Yeah, you have to. Well. What's like the, um, uh, like old analog radios... You could like you know, 
just because you're slightly off on the tuner, you can still make out what the person's saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have a digital radio, if it doesn't get that packet, it's gone. That, yeah. 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 Well, it has a whole lot less sideband coverage. Coverage, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, interesting stuff. So, I think... What are you doing with your glass? I'm about to take the last sip of some homebrew that I made over the... Uh, over Christmas. Here, I, I got a little bit more, Parker. Oh, I'll take... Oh, I love this glass. Yeah, that's the... That's oh, the, I have to take a picture of this glass. That's the, the glass from uh, from my wedding. So it's, it says Lauren and Steven established 2015, but it's got a Velociraptor. Yeah, we made we made custom pint glasses because we had our wedding at the Dallas Science Museum. And so ah. I was like, can we put a dinosaur on our pint glasses? My wife was like, oh, hell yeah. So <laughs> she She's a trooper. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Cheers. Cheers. 101. 101. Into a new year. So we're almost at... 102. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. But we it would be 52, so 104 episodes would be two we'll years. Be exact, yeah. So we got to do the Star Wars episode, and then episode 100, and then the New Year episode, which we just did, and then the two-year anniversary, all at the same time. <laughs> Well, in like a, two months. Yeah, one small package. Yeah. So. Cool. Yeah, so see you next week for episode 102, right? Because that's coming up, right? <laughs> that's, that's that's our new exit. Yeah. Just see you next exit. week for the next, next episode. episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guess what? There's another episode next week. Yeah. Okay. So that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We were your hosts, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dillman. Take it easy, guys. Later. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, or beer that you want Stephen and I to discuss or drink, tweet us at MacFab, email us at podcast at MacFab.com, or get with Irish to ship us the beer. Also, check out our Slack channel. If you are not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest map episode right when it releases. And please review us on iTunes. It helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us. We also have a position open on our software development team and an opening for a production engineer. Check out those links.